the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua. Praise to the God who reigns above. God had been faithful to keep his promise to the children of Israel. They were about to enter the land of promise, the land of Canaan. God appointed Joshua to lead the people. He told Joshua to be strong and courageous. God reassured Joshua that the victory was already theirs, should they continue to walk and trust the Lord. We have come to their first obstacle, the walled city of Jericho. Joshua sent a small group of spies into the city of Jericho. There they met a woman named Rahab, who showed her faith in Jehovah God by hiding the spies away from the king of Jericho. We see Rahab plead for her family's life as we join Pastor Will in Joshua chapter 2, verse 12. Look at verse 12. She says, Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, by Jehovah, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. The humility that we see here from her is powerful. It says, now therefore I pray you, which it's one Hebrew word that means please. Now therefore, please, I beg you. That's what it means. This is a request. It's not a demand to be repaid. It's a request. And she says, swear unto me by Jehovah. That's interesting because she's not prior to this moment a worshiper of Jehovah. She has other pagan gods. She's probably made oaths by or received promises from others by. But she says here, you swear to me by Jehovah. That's the only oath she'll believe because that's the only God she trusts now. You say, how do you know that she trusts the Lord, Will? Because Rahab doesn't ask for herself to be spared. She already believes she will be spared. She asked for her family to be spared. She already is a believer. She already believes that they will accept her as a follower of Jehovah. But what she's interceding for is for her family. See, she says to them, listen, swear unto me now by the Lord. Why? Since I have showed you kindness. That word kindness there, it's chesed. It's the Hebrew equivalent of agape, loyal love, devotion. It's the same thing that Israel was to have towards God and God had towards them. She says, I am treating you like one of your own people because I see myself as one of your own people right now. So she says, since I have showed you this kindness, this loyalty, this loyal love, she asks then, give me a true token and show kindness, that same loyal love to my father's house. The true token is that they will show her family kindness in verse 13, that you'll save alive my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. I think this is one of the most precious moments in Scripture because we get an intimate look into the moment when an unbeliever has realized that judgment is coming and they've casted all their hope of salvation on the Lord. It's a pretty precious thing, isn't it? She realizes that judgment is coming. I am doomed unless the Lord spares me. 
What a precious glimpse into the insight of the conversion of an unbeliever, of someone who hadn't been a follower of the Lord, but now has become one. You see, how do you know that? Well, she proved it by placing herself at great risk with her own people, with her own king, to show loyalty to these spies instead of to her people. Why would she discard patriotism for her newfound faith? Why would she do that? Here's why. Because even though the rest of Jericho was terrified of God's judgment, they refused to repent. They continued in their idolatrous and sinful ways. They decided to fight God instead of yield to God. And see, she decides to go the opposite direction. And when that happens, when you've put true faith in the Lord, your loyal love for God must be greater than love for country or even family. Country or even family. See, Rahab presumes her life will be spared. By what means? Hebrews 11.31 tells us, by faith. Now, we don't see this in Joshua 2, but Hebrews 11.31 gives us insight. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with them that believed not. It makes it clear a difference between her and those that didn't repent, those that did not believe in the Lord. She, by faith, didn't perish with those who didn't believe because she received the spies with peace. She wasn't saved by being Jewish. She certainly wasn't saved by being good. She was a harlot. She was saved by grace through faith alone. The only way anyone's saved. Her request isn't for herself. She already believes that God will spare her. Her request is for a promise that they will spare her entire family. And if they agree, this will prove their loyalty to her and that they truly accept her as one of them now. And the spies do exactly that but with two conditions. Verse 14. And the men answered her, our life for yours. And the word there, yours is plural. Our life for your family's life. Our life for your family's life. If you utter not this, our business. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. So here their promise has two conditions. You cannot utter our business to anybody. You can't tell anybody that you have spies in your midst. You can't rat on us. You can't turn us in. As long as you don't do that, then our lives for your families. We are fine with that. If you want to be one of us, then we will accept you and your family as one of us. And they say, it shall be when the Lord has given us this land that we will deal kindly. Same word, chesed. We will show you, we will deal with loyal love toward you. We will treat you like believers. We will treat you like our family. And we will deal truly with you. It means with faithfulness, honesty, and lasting fidelity. Listen, this is one of the strongest statements of devotion from one person to another in all of Scripture. And guess what? It's made to a Gentile by an Israelite. (laughs) Powerful. To a Gentile by an Israelite before Christ came. See, she simply requested that her family be spared. But this is a promise to make them a part of the nation of Israel. Listen, let us forever reject the notion that the Israeli conquest of Canaan was racial extermination or arbitrary judgment. God loved every single Canaanite. His judgment only came upon rebels who refused to repent. Hebrews 11.31 makes it clear that she did not perish with those who did not believe. If everyone in Jericho would have believed, Jericho wouldn't have had to have been destroyed. If all the Canaanites repented and believed, none of the Canaanites would have had to have been destroyed. Now, they all knew judgment was coming. They all knew God was doing this. And what did they choose to do? We don't want God to rule over us. We will fight. 
Sound familiar? You ever read the book of Revelation? I have Christians come to me all the time and they say, I just don't get it, Pastor. Well, I can't see how reasonable people would know that God is bringing this judgment upon them and they would shake their fists at him and say, no. Why would we think that way when all of history, mankind's done it? When we do it now, it's no different. It's no different. Anyone who repented and placed their trust in Jehovah would have been spared and blessed just like Rahab and her family. Let us also forever reject the statement that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and the God of the New Testament is one of mercy. If anyone ever tells you that, you have my permission to tell them they're wrong nicely. (laughs) God is clearly merciful to anyone who repents in the Old Testament. And also, according to the New Testament, he will be equally vengeful upon rebellious sinners in the future as he was to the Canaanites who didn't repent. The God of the old and the new is both mercy and wrath. There is no dichotomy between the two. Rahab has no intention of informing on them. All her eggs are in Jehovah's basket. So this promise is good enough for her. Look at verse 15. Then she let them down by a cord through the window. Wait a second, I thought they were there to spy. They didn't do any reconnaissance. They'd already got what they needed. I'll get to that later. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. Well, you don't need to put it back up, but it's talking about those two walls. Her house was upon the upper wall, but it was also right against the lower wall. So it was an ideal place for them to get out of the city. It says here, she let them down by this cord, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall, and she said to them, get you up to the mountain, to the hilly country. That would actually be going west, the opposite direction from Israel's camp, because that's where the soldiers were looking for them. Go and hide in the mountain of the hilly country, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers be returned, and then afterward, it'll be safe to go your way. So she has shown them an incredibly loyal love. But this is where now the men, as they're about to leave, they give their second condition to sparing her family. She says, listen, we will spare your family, but they need to exercise faith to be saved too. It can't just be you. So look at verse 17. And the men said to her, I don't know if they said this while they were on the rope or before they got on the rope, it doesn't tell us. But the men said unto her, we will be blameless. In other words, we'll be free from this commitment, this obligation we have to spare you and your family. We will be free from this commitment if you don't meet this second condition. We will be blameless of this thine oath which you have made us to swear. Behold, which means pay attention, make sure you do this. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which you did let us down by. And you shall bring your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household home unto you. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head and we will be guiltless. But whosoever shall be with you in your house, his blood shall be on our head if any, any hand be upon him. And if you utter this our business, they remind again, then we will be quit of thine oath. We'll be free. We don't have to keep it, which you have made us to swear. And she said, according unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet line in the window. There's so many good things here in this section. It's so rich. A scarlet thread, it means a ribbon made with crimson dye. So this rope or cord she's let them down with, they say, put a scarlet thread on this rope and hang it out your window, we'll know what to look for and bring everyone into the house. As long as they stay inside the house with that scarlet thread, all the soldiers will know, don't harm anyone in that house. But if you come out, if anyone comes out of the home, we can't know they're your family. So if they end up getting killed in the battle, that's on them. 
That's not on us. So they're just saying, make sure you do this. They need to exercise faith too. They need to know that even though the battle's raging outside and the thought of the mind would be run, get to safety, stay in the home, you will be safe there. See, they wanted an easily recognizable mark to ensure that they could keep their side of the deal. Her family would have to trust that staying in the home was the safest place for them to be. This is the same as the Passover, where remember, they had to put the blood on the doors. Anyone that did it, Egyptian or Jew, would be spared. It was the same as the brass serpent that Moses constructed when the people were stung by the fiery serpents. They had to look at the brass serpent, and it didn't, there made no sense to look at the brass serpent, but that's what God told them to do. The place of safety was in obedience. The place of safety was faith. Doing anything else would leave them exposed to judgment. But trusting God's word Trusting their promise resulted in salvation. Listen, there is only one way to come to eternal salvation, and that's by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. There's only one way. Leaving that house to trust in my own works or some set of rituals to make me right with God will leave me lost for eternity, and my blood will be upon my own head. It's not God's fault if I'm lost. He has made it clear what the way of salvation is. Now, I love what it says here at the very end of verse 21. And they departed, and then what does she do right away? She bound the scarlet fine in the window. She wastes no time in obeying her part of the deal. Rahab's story is a beautiful one. Here we have this immoral pagan woman is shown great mercy by the living God simply because of her faith, by faith alone. Just like you and I are saved. That's how she was saved. And that faith was proved by placing her life at great risk, by actions. You know, it's interesting, James in chapter 2, when James is, is dealing with faith without works is dead, he references Rahab, and he shows that she was justified before, not God, but before men, because of her works. If you say, I'm saved, but you have no proof of it before men, no one's going to take you seriously and think you really love Christ. And in the same way, you're not going to have an impact upon unbelievers because they're not going to think you take Christ seriously. So it's not that we're justified before God by our works, but we are justified before men by our works. That's how people know that our faith is legitimate. They know it's real. They know that we mean what we profess. And Rahab did. But even with this beautiful story, that's not the end of her story. Turn to Matthew chapter one with me. This is the cool part. Because what was her belief? Her belief was that I'm part of of Israel now. I'm a part of God's family, even though I'm a Gentile, even though I'm a Canaanite. I'm a part of God's family. And they said, if you keep your part of the bargain, we'll deal kindly and truly with you. We will show the utmost fidelity and loyalty to you. We will treat you with the same loyal love we would treat any other Israelite and the way that we look at the Lord. We will treat you like family. Well, Matthew chapter one, verse one. This is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then we get into what is just a genealogy, a bunch of names. Well, let's go down to verse five. And Salmon begat Boaz of who? Rahab. Rahab is Boaz's mother. Talk about a little bit of a change there. Here's this woman who's living her life as a prostitute and her son becomes one of the most upright, pure, godly, true-loving guy that's ever existed. Like when we do premarital counseling with couples, we look to the story of Ruth as an example of true love, of true, pure commitment. 
Boaz, raised by the prostitute. That's his mom. Clearly, there was some type of change in her life to implement these truths into his life. And Boaz begat Obad of Ruth, and Obad begat Jesse, and Jesse begat who? David the king. Rahab is whatever, the great-grandmother of David. Talk about being accepted into the family of God. You get to be in the line of the Messiah. Wow. Talk about redemption. Talk about full acceptance. Talk about taking someone who is as far away as you could get as being known as the people of God and where God brings her to. God can do the same for us. As cool as all this is, this chapter isn't about Rahab. (laughs) It's not because we have three more verses. It's about the spies. So we must return to them and learn the lesson of victory in Jesus that this chapter teaches us. So verse 22, it says, and they went and they came unto the mountain and they stayed there for three days until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought for them throughout all the road, but they could not find them. So the two men returned and they descended from the mountain and they passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all things that happened to them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. The word there truly in verse 24, it means indeed, indeed. These guys come back, it's emphatic. These guys come back inspired. God is really going to give us this land because he did what he said he'd do. He said he'd put fear in the hearts of these people and we witnessed it. How different from the other 10 spies who gathered accurate intel. Remember the other 10 that went with Joshua and Caleb the first time? They went and they did gather accurate intel, right? Hey, uh, they outnumber us. They've got walled cities. And by the way, they've got giants and we're grasshoppers in their sight. That's accurate intel, right? They did their job. They went and got accurate intel. These guys don't come back with any intel on the enemy, but they come back strengthening God's word. And if you look back at the story with Joshua and Caleb, that's exactly the way they came back. The 10 spies who didn't trust the Lord and turned the hearts of the people away from God, they came back and said, here's the intel we found. We can't do it. Joshua and Caleb said, hold on a second. We went in there to go see if the land was good. And God told us it was a land flowing with milk and honey and taste these grapes, man. It's exactly as God said. So if God's word was true about that, who cares about the military intel we got? He'll keep the rest of his promise. That's what these two spies do as well. They go in and they say, God told us he'd put fear in the hearts of these people. And guess what? That's exactly what we found. God's promise was true. And if God was faithful to that part of his promise, he'll be faithful with the rest of it, regardless of whatever military intel we found. See, that's what these guys found. And they were convinced, convinced that they could win because of that. Surely God will be faithful to do everything else he promised if this is true. That's why Joshua sent them ahead. He trusted that God would give them the intel they needed not to move forward with military instruction, but so they could move forward in faith. And that's exactly what God did. And so my question to you tonight as we wrap this up is, what intel do you look at? What intel do you look at? Do you face the future by looking at God's faithfulness to what he's already done? Or do you face the future by seeing only the difficult challenges that lie ahead? The key to being victorious, the difference between walking in the spirit, living life in the promised land, and walking in the flesh, living in the desert, is that. Between experiencing victory in Jesus and going around in circles, is looking at future challenges, looking at future needs by looking at the faithfulness to what God's already done. 
not looking at those challenges. And so my question to you tonight is, which side of the river are you living on? Are you still going in circles in the desert, trying to live and operate and make decisions based only on the intel that's in front of you? Or are you looking for the ways that God's been faithful to you there as promises that he'll be faithful moving forward to face the challenges that the intel has put in front of you? If we're going to experience the victory that Jesus brings to us, we need to get into the battle just like Joshua needed to. We need to be strengthened and we need to be courageous. But we also need to live by faith in God's word and not by what we see. Now, I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I don't have time tonight, but the story continues. You know, it says, we are persecuted but not abandoned, pressed down but not crushed. We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed. He goes down later on. He's, he continues along these lines about not fainting, about doing our job. And our job is found at the beginning of verse 4, but he says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we don't faint. So even though we are troubled on every side, we're not distressed. We don't faint. Even though we are perplexed, we don't faint. We're not in despair. Even though we're persecuted, we don't faint because we're not forsaken. Even though we are cast down, we don't faint because we're not destroyed. Because 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. This is the key to victorious living in addition to everything we've learned so far. This is how we don't faint, but stick to the game plan. Stick to following the Lord. Stick to making disciples. We've reverenced God. We trust God. We look to his promises and not make decisions in light of our challenges. Amen? Let's all stand. Oh, Lord, we stand in awe of you because we, we see the path clearly, Lord. I think so many times, I, at least I look forward, I know, Lord, and I go, Lord, there's no path. There's no way to victory. And yet, or you lay it out for us here. You know, you tell, you tell Joshua, get up, get into the battle. It's time to move. Be strengthened, be courageous, go walk toward the enemy. But then Lord, as we're walking toward the enemy, you challenge us, you call us to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, I can't imagine what it'd been like when Joshua and the people cross over that Jordan, see all the miracles, but it's not like Jericho gets smaller as they get closer, Lord, it gets bigger. They see the steep incline. They see the multiple walls. They know the, the numbers that they've got a spring at their disposal. Harvest has just happened. What are we going to do? But they keep walking forward by faith and not by sight. And then, Lord, you come up with the most amazing thing. Walk around the city and blow horns. <laughs> Lord, so often it seems like where we don't see a path, you've already made one, but we won't see it till we get there. So, Lord, help us, remind us, Lord, to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, we choose tonight to be those who do so. Quit walking around in circles in the desert because we're doing things our own way or because the intel that we gather has frightened us. Lord, we choose to trust your promises. We choose to obey your commands and to press on towards our enemy, knowing, Lord, that you will make a way. In Jesus' name, amen. Rahab trusted God to save her and her family. She knew God was great and mighty, but also merciful and kind. The spies that were hidden by Rahab came back with the report that God would be faithful to do all that he said he would do. This is the same God we serve today. He is an awesome and mighty God, perfect in his judgments. And yet, he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abundantly pardoning. 
He is faithful to us, even when we remain faithless. God is so good. We can be sure that His word to us is true and steadfast. He chose to die for us, that we might know Him, that we might have an intimate relationship with Him, the great God of the universe. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.